Welcome to the latest episode of The Grower and the Economist. I'm Michelle Klieger, The Economist. And I'm Peter Conjoyan, The Grower. Each week, we team up to tackle the biggest challenges facing small and medium-sized growers. We're one part grower and one part economist, just like your business. Today on The Grower and the Economist, we are talking with Renee Rawhauser about gardening and commercial farming and where gardening ends as a hobby and where growing produce for sale starts. So I'd like to welcome Renee to the program um, and thank you, Peter, for introducing me to this special guest expert. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, Peter and I have been talking about this for a while and I've been looking forward to it. A little intimidated, but looking forward to it. Uh, I... Uh, we'll tell you a little bit about how I got started in gardening, and um, then we can see where else you, uh, what other ideas you want to explore. I'm retired. I'm a retired uh, school teacher. Retired about uh, ten years ago, and I knew that when I retired, one of the things I wanted to take up was to do a little gardening. So I started out. Uh, I had an eight by twelve. Uh, garden in my backyard just blocked it off with some uh, three by three uh, landscaping timbers and um, went from there and uh, I look back and one of the things I think about when I look back at that eight by twelve I had it was so crowded I had stuff growing on top of stuff and uh, uh, I can remember my tomatoes being out there sprinkling them with water every night thinking it's good for them and not knowing that uh, I'm introducing him to a long slow death with with blight but anyway so i started out with an 8x12 and over the course of 10 years in this past winter i probably put the finishing touches to any foreseeable expansions i now have um 48 4 by 8 some of them are 3 by 8 uh raised beds that i i take care of um before I put the raised beds in, it was about 2,500 feet of uh, gardening space that I have. So um, that is where I am at with my gardening interest now. And it sort of evolved. Uh, first, I was just growing a few things, a couple of tomatoes to have at dinner. And as my family and my children's families grew, um, I started trying to produce more and more vegetables for uh, them to have access in, to and use. And Michelle, as Renee introduces himself, I think it, it'd be appropriate for us to to explain to you how we are friends. His daughter and my son were students at Penn State University, and after graduating, they decided to get married. So Renee and I have had uh, what was that? Oh, seven, Renee, that they got married and we've known each other. Uh, sounds about right. So I can't yeah. be responsible for that sort of information. <laughs> it may be a couple of years before yeah. that, that, yeah. you know, they had met. Yeah. So uh, Renee and his wife and me and my wife uh, have struck up a nice friendship and we have grandchildren that we share. So uh, and, and the grandchildren, Michelle, are in the ages age range that your little girl is. And you and I have shared experiences with uh, uh, my grandchildren and your little girl. Renee and I share stories and experiences with our common grandkids. 
Um, Renee, you also, as you grew your gardening hobby, you outgrew your backyard. And would you describe how, how that has uh, evolved? Uh, I did. And, and that was, you know, going back to the original 8 by 12, I expanded that to the point where I think it's a 25 by 30 now and realize that um, I would need more space to grow some things that the, some of the space eaters, so to speak. And I, I didn't, I didn't quite understand how to manage what to grow where yet, but I wanted to grow things like corn and, um, and squash. And they, as you know, they take up a lot of space. So I applied at um, a couple of the local community gardens for a plot. Um, I got, um, a first I got a 20 by 30 plot over there and part of the story that we're talking about the community gardens is uh that how a plot next to mine became available the person who had rented it wasn't using it um and it was completely neglected overgrown uh three to four feet tall uh, weeds and the manager the garden manager asked me if I, I wanted that. Uh, so I um, I was able to get uh, a plot adjacent to uh, a plot adjacent to the original one I had. And that's uh, later on, I got a third plot that became which was not uh, contiguous to my other two. And that was too much for me to manage. So I'm, I'm back to the two plots. So it's a, uh, a 20 by 60 um space over there and i i have i have about half of my raised beds uh over over at the county about half at home and and half over at the community garden so, so when you say that that was the third plot was too much to manage how much time are you spending gardening well in this weather i, I spend a lot of time <laughs> watering and that's something that uh, peter has, has advised me on and uh, you'll be happy to know, Peter, I just yesterday I decided to go back and lay down some uh, some drip irrigation hoses to help take the pressure off of that. But I, in this weather, I go over to my county garden um, once a day to water and sometimes twice a day in the, in the very hot weather if, I'm, if I have seedlings in. And I, I can spend, it takes me about an hour and a half to get everything watered thoroughly over there. Then there's the management. So typically, um, I can easily say 10 to 15 hours a week. Um, and a lot of that's devoted to watering and probably more when I, if I factor in at home, which I can, you know, I can go out and do in 15 and 20 minute blocks. So that's, that's not quite as much. So different people. And I, you see this, if you walk around the county garden, you, you can readily see um, how much time people have to devote to it. But, and like a lot of other things, it can take up as much time as you're willing to, to give to it. If, if, I, if I give anything less than five hours a week, it looks, it looks neglected. If five to 10 hours a week, it looks like I'm taking a little bit of care of it. You need 10 to 15 hours a week to make it look like uh, I'm really taking care of it. So, Michelle, there's one thing that we should make clear to listeners, and that is that Renee and his 
his group of gardeners, that the commitment that you asked him to describe, that, that we're not asking or suggesting that the average homeowner is going to have that kind of time and make that kind of commitment. So, you know, if there are homeowners listening to this, we don't want them to be frustrated or feel that, you know, this is way more than I can handle. Um, everybody starts at their own level. And for Renee, it just worked out in his time of life after retiring that he, he plowed as much time as he could into this. And, um, you know, once, once we ask him to describe how he's feeding more than one household, uh, I think that'll even, that'll become even more interesting. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point, Peter. Um, it can be, you know, the uh, uh, beginning gardener should pretty much decide how much time do they want to spend on it and um, start small and only and work your way up to whatever amount of time you have to uh, to devote to taking care of a garden. And, and you know, think of it as a, I think of it as a hobby. It's how much time do I want to spend on that hobby? Yeah, so I like, um, I think it's interesting that we've started to, to break down, I mean, one, that is a significant amount of time, um, and it's great that you found a hobby that you like. Two, I think it's an interesting distinction on whether you're feeding one house or more than one house. Um, and as I mentioned in the intro, I reading this book about the new farmer, so it's a net commercial farm, it's, I think it started... Uh, in 2008 in Toronto or outside of Toronto. And their point they realized was that growers, that gardeners are people that grow food and farmers are people that grow and sell food. And so I think it's interesting that when you get into that, Renee, you're sort of in the middle where you're growing food um, and it's for entertainment purpose, but you really are feeding more than just yourself. I mean, I'm one of those backyard gardeners where we have a couple of tomatoes and cucumbers or squash at every breakfast or sorry every lunch and dinner but I'm not feeding my neighborhood and so I think it's interesting the different levels or distinctions within gardening and producing vegetables and just how those fit together uh, that, that is uh, that's an important distinction especially for someone who's starting out in gardening, you know, what do they want to accomplish? I sort of grew into the um, into the role of providing food for all my kids' families. So there's 15 of us that, uh, that eat directly out of the garden and get a large portion of our vegetables uh, out of the garden. And I, and I think, uh, it just as you were saying, and I was sitting here thinking, well, I am sort of like that in between. I'm not selling anybody any food. I take a little leftover to the local food bank and we give whatever access we have to um, uh, other friends and family. But I am, um, I sort of developed the responsibility for my own self of knowing that uh, I want to provide certain kinds of vegetables uh, in quantity for um, all three of my children's families. And Renee, can you describe for, for uh, listeners, um, your daughter and, and both your sons, all are married, all, all with children. How would you describe 
your your children in terms of some of our past episodes as we tried to discuss the younger the next generation and uh, whether they subscribe or not to the locally grown food movement where do you feel your three kids fall on that spectrum well what i was listening to your uh, podcast in which your intern was a guest and um she was speaking about some of her perspectives i, th- I thought uh that very much described my daughter and my daughter's uh, been an influence your daughter-in-law has been an influence in me on my growing practices uh what i should grow and how i should grow it and primarily um she has influenced me and nudged me toward um growing organically because that's the kind of food that she wants to provide for her children and, and, you know, for herself and uh, her, her husband too, for her whole family. So um, she has been uh, a big influence on me on the kinds of growing practices that uh, I try to carry out. Um, My sons are not as adamant. They endorse it um, and, embrace it but maybe not insist on it to uh, or want it the same level that she does and um you know can you speak about my daughter not only does she look for that sort of produce from me but she looks for that sort of produce in um uh, what she's buying for her family uh, including um the meats she has particular uh um vendors that she'll buy that she looks to to buy meats from um, and and other produce that she doesn't buy from me. So so she she is the kind of consumer that um, Natalie was describing when she was a, a guest. Um, my sons have more of an awareness and uh, agree with it, are not as adamant in practice and following that too so strictly. It's, and Renee, you you would say that your daughter Julie, my daughter-in-law, um, is in that group that is willing or saying that we will pay more, we will pay a premium for the quality of food that I'm looking for. Would you yeah. agree with that? Uh, that? That that's absolutely, and that's you know that's one of the things I thought about uh, um, as you guys were doing your uh, a previous uh, podcast. Yeah, she she is she. She willingly pays a premium for the quality and type of uh, produce that she wants to provide for her family. And Michelle, again, you, you, your age, you and your husband and Renee and my kids are all, you're in that same category. Would you, would you like to jump in from your perspective on, on these comments? One of the things I think is interesting is that growing from a garden, it, is enough for most people or getting it local. And so it's interesting. um, And it seems to be from her surroundings, experience, interactions with both of you that wanting to make sure that it's organic, even if it's local. Um, So I think that that's a distinction from a lot of the research that I've read. Um, But I also think that it's great that you guys are having these conversations because you know, we do seem to be so removed from our food system that, you know, when someone in the family is growing a lot of food, not only does the family get to benefit from eating the local produce, which is a huge 
eating more produce is just an important thing at this point. But two, they get to understand how difficult production is. And I, you know, I don't know if it's my little soapbox, but I do think that we are so far removed from the farm that we can't understand the decisions that farmers are making. And so are you, do you have, in, have you switched over to a fully organic? Do you, you know, have conversations about pest or fungus control as those issues pop up? Yes, but um, you're, and I think you're right about consumers being um, so far from the production of food that they don't understand what it means and the the additional labor it takes to to grow organically. I I have those um, I have those conversations, but. Um, they're not. I, I don't. I don't think anybody becomes fully aware of what it means until you actually do it. I, mean, I think they have some superficial awareness of, of that. But uh, and and you know, let's face it. Like every other young family, their day is pretty much filled. And so I try to make sure that when I give them the produce that it's as ready to use as it can be. And that means um, uh, carrots, for instance. When they want carrots, um, I make sure I, um, I I try to pull them in the morning and get them cleaned up so it was like they were buying carrots at the local farmer's market or local grocery store. They don't have to go home and do all the cleaning and, and, and get them ready uh, and that sort of thing. Um, if... Picking beans. I don't. Now this is get. This is getting a little different. So let me do potatoes first. Potatoes are one of my favorite things to grow. They are. I never realized how delicious they are. I have to give a bag of potatoes to uh, Peter every week to uh, keep him on staff as my uh, go-to horticulturist. Uh, Colorado potato beetle is a major problem. It would be much easier for me just to go over and sprinkle seven on uh, the potatoes uh, once or twice uh, a season. And take care of that. But I go over and I pick them off by hand. And, and uh, I do that on a daily basis during the month that the first, the adults are on laying eggs and then the larvae are on uh, eating the leaves. So, so um, that is, I don't, I don't think many people have that level of understanding unless they actually are out there uh, doing it. And and they don't want they don't they don't want to be bothered with that level of understanding. They want their potatoes, you know, and and, and I sort of understand that. So, um, Renee, you you tied in nicely to Natalie's comments in the last episode when we talked about how a fresh potato has tastes so good. And and Michelle, Renee is correct. Once a year, um, he'll share some potatoes with me. And uh, he'll send different varieties and expect me to, to give feedback on a taste test. And, and it's so cool. It, it's amazing how that, that vegetable that we take for granted is, is so, uh, so tasty when, it, when it's fresh. That's true. And I think that's true with most of the things we, we get out of the garden. And I never realized that until I started... Uh, gardening and eating most of my own vegetables. Potatoes is a great example. 
Um, I always thought of potatoes as a filler on uh, the dinner plate and for, you know, whatever nutrients or calories you need to, need to, to get. And um, boy, fresh out of the garden, they are delicious. And, uh, you know, we look forward to when the potatoes are coming in and, and all the different ways that we're going to prepare them. 